We have quite an eclectic batch today. Our first is a ghost story. It was the summer of 2003. My friend Andrew and I moved into an apartment in Montreal. It wasn't ideal, but we needed to find somewhere. The apartment had a small living room with scuffed parquet floors connecting to a cramped kitchen. A small wood-panelled hallway led to the two bedrooms and the bathroom. For some reason, the doors of both bedrooms and the bathroom had been replaced with full-length mirrors, giving it a confusing aspect. Also strange for such a small apartment was that the bathroom had a hot tub. Right from the start, I could sense the place had bad vibes, but I brushed it aside and decided to give the place a chance. The first night there, I drifted off to the steady patter of rain, feeling quite snug. But then, the nightmare came. I was inside an old house, standing with a girl about five. She looked up at me and asked, Can you stay? I told her that I couldn't, and with that, her expression changed to one of anger. Her voice also changed. I thought we were friends. Then, both of her pupils cracked like egg yolks and rivulets of blood ran down her face. I woke up and found the rain outside had intensified. For the next few nights, I slept with the light on and my door open. Andrew and I were sitting in the living room one day when our CD player turned on. We looked at each other, then back to the stereo. The five-disc CD changer rotated. Then it started playing an old Ray Charles song. Here we go again. She's back in town again. As abruptly as it started, the music stopped. Did you do that? It wasn't me. A few weeks later, I came home late one night. I turned on the light in the living room and could see through into the kitchen. 
Oh God. Every single cabinet and drawer was open, wide open. I moved through the kitchen, closing all the doors and drawers. Then I went to bed. It was a few days later. I came home from work. Andrew? You home? And as I was alone in the apartment, I thought I'd relax for a while in the hot tub. I filled the tub, then got in and turned on the jets. After a while, I thought I could hear something coming from the living room, so I turned off the jets. That was it for me. When Andrew came home, I told him I wanted to move out. He seemed relieved. We would have to break the lease, but it seemed worth it. Nothing really happened over the following weeks. Then, shortly before we moved out, I decided to have one more soak in the hot tub. But first, I went to the living room and unplugged the stereo. I filled the tub, then turned on the motor. Luckily, before I got in this time... Oh, Jesus. Instead of bubbles rising from the tiny holes inside the tub, a black liquid emerged. Thick, streaming tendrils, as black as the cracked eyes of the girl from my nightmare, clouded the water like ink. I shut off the motor. This was the apartment's way of saying goodbye. It's been 26 years since we lived in that apartment but I still think about it occasionally. A couple of years ago, I spoke to Andrew and asked if there was anything he didn't tell me about. He was quiet for a few seconds. Then he said, There were dreams. Apollo girl. I don't really remember the details. Just her eyes. Her eyes? I'll never forget it. Her eyes were bleeding. I find it quite fascinating that we are at our most magical when we're asleep. Back in 2005, my family was living in an apartment above a gas station 
in Norway. One night, I had a very vivid dream about a little blonde boy. I'd guess he was eight or nine. He was wearing a striped T-shirt with a silver star printed in the middle of the shirt. He was standing in our living room, crying. When he saw me, he spoke in Swedish. I'm Norwegian, so I understood what he was saying, especially bus accident. Bus accident. He kept pointing down to the gas station below us. When I woke up, I was convinced a bus was going to crash into the gas station. I told my mum and dad, but my dad told me to get a grip. That nightmares happen. It didn't stop me from being anxious, though. I sat looking out the window. Every time I saw a bus going past the gas station, I was sure it was going to crash. That evening, my siblings and I went down to the gas station to buy snacks for a horror movie marathon. And I saw a newspaper headline. Bus accident in Tenerife. And there was a photo of a bus in front of a gas station. Naturally, I bought the paper. It was a Swedish tourist bus that ran off the road in Tenerife, the largest of the Canary Islands, with 28 people on board. Three people were killed and several others injured. As I turned the page, I saw a second photograph, a picture of two blonde boys. One of them was eight or nine years old and wearing a striped T-shirt with a star on the chest. Oh my God. At first, I thought I must have dreamt of his ghost. But as I continued reading, I learned that the boys in the photo had survived the accident. I don't believe in psychics, mediums, witches, or anything paranormal, but I still have that paper to remind myself that I really don't know anything. How can a little boy appear in a dream of a stranger to warn of an accident at about the same time that the accident was happening. Nothing like this has ever happened to me before. I still can't explain it.
My father woke up from a liver transplant and as soon as the breathing tube was removed, he started talking about someone named Brent. No one knew who Brent was, but the morphine had been giving him strange dreams. So my aunt, who was in the room with him, told him to rest, that they could talk about it later. Two days later, my aunt was reading the newspaper and came across the obituary of someone named Brent. It would have been a small coincidence if this Brent person hadn't also had the same surname as the Brent my dad had been talking about. She asked my dad if he remembered talking about this man, and he replied, yes. He said while he was under the anaesthetic, he'd met Brent and had been taken to see a trailer where Brent had been shot and killed by his girlfriend's estranged husband. He stood next to my father and narrated the events as they both watched. This is where it happens. Please, no! Brent then asked my dad to tell his mother that he was okay. It was 1995, so newspapers and phone books were the best available tools. My aunt found the story about the homicide in a newspaper and learned that it happened at the same time my dad was having surgery. The question was, what to do with this information? My dad wanted to pass on Brent's message, but finding and contacting this man's mother seemed out of the question. Prior to this happening, my dad hadn't believed anything like this was possible, so why would anyone else? He sat with it until he was released from hospital. Then he decided to try contacting the detective who was named in the news article. How can I help you? Well, this is going to sound a little strange. My father recounted the story to the detective, including several details that weren't in the papers. Surprisingly, the detective believed my dad's story, but was reluctant about putting him in touch with Brent's mother. Instead, he said he would speak to her and give her my dad's number. The next day, she called, and my dad was able to tell her that her son was okay. By nature, I'm a rational and skeptical person, but having witnessed this series of events, I'm convinced that there are things in life that just can't be explained. 
I don't know what comes next, but I'm sure there's something. And if Brent is okay, we will be too. Before we go on, I want to say thank you to Heather. During the week, Heather joined the Patreon group. So thank you for that, Heather. <laughs> Story number four is titled The Village. In the heart of 1970s Singapore, our house stood just a stone's throw from a huge Christian cemetery. The darkness within those cemetery grounds held no fear for me. Instead, it became a canvas for my childhood adventures. However, deep inside the cemetery, there existed a place, a hidden village cloaked beneath a dense canopy of trees and perpetually shrouded in an unexplainable mist. Legends whispered of traditional Malays living in this clandestine hamlet without gas or electricity. It was a stark contrast to the modern cityscape of Singapore. Fueled by curiosity, I embarked on a daring adventure cycling toward the mystery within that hidden village. I cycled through the cemetery, and as I approached the village entrance, a mist rose from the ground to greet me. Summoning courage, I pushed through the chilling fog my visibility reduced to a mere haze. The mist thickened, forcing me to get off my bike and walk through this haunting atmosphere. Deeper into the village, I came to shacks crafted from primitive materials. Some lacked doors, heightening the sense of the uncanny. One hut emitted a warm glow. Its candlelight was beckoning me. As I walked towards this hut, the weather shifted from a light drizzle to a sudden downpour. I stepped forward, inexplicably drawn inside the hut. I looked around. Glass bottles and jars containing dead animals, lizards, rats, and in one what appeared to be an unidentified fetus all suspended in a cloudy liquid. Panic set in, but as I attempted to flee, my legs 
felt bolted to the floor. And then it began. My vision blurred as the chanting crescendoed. The next thing I remembered was waking up, safe in my own bed. A wave of relief washed over me as I realised it must have been a dream. Although, I couldn't remember going to bed or what I was doing before I went to bed. All I could recall was the dream about that spooky village. I turned on my lamp and could see my jeans and t-shirt not folded on the chair like they normally would be, but in a crumpled heap on the floor. That wasn't all. They were wet. That's when I realised it wasn't a dream. My clothes could only have got wet from the sudden downpour in that village. We have one more story. It's either about something very strange and possibly evil, or it's just a case of two people freaking themselves out. See what you think. And I'll see you next week. On a whim, my husband Connor and I decided to take a short break, a road trip to a small town in upstate New York. It was a four hour drive from our apartment and it seemed like the perfect getaway from our suffocating one bedroom. We enjoyed the weekend, so much so that we delayed driving home until late on Sunday evening. We were about two hours into the drive and my husband had taken over driving, leaving me to stare out the window at the formidable fir trees that stretched endlessly in all directions. It was then that I caught sight of the corpse of a deer. It looked fresh, and the impact on the animal seemed severe. But most disturbing to me was its position, the way it had been dragged to the driver's side of the road was strange. The body seemed carefully splayed out like the perpetrator had given thought to positioning the deer. Connor spotted it a second or two after I did. 
About ten minutes later, another dead deer came into view, again on the driver's side, and again carefully laid out, as if it was a work of art, and not a slain animal. Yikes, said Connor as we passed. I couldn't shake the feeling of a creeping panic. Another ten minutes passed. Is that another deer? Now convinced this was deliberate. Ten more minutes went by, and then our headlights cast a cold spotlight on the lifeless body of a coyote. What the hell? Connor tried to change the conversation. That pizza place was surprisingly good, don't you think? But we were both on edge. And then I saw it. Not a deer or a coyote, but what appeared to be a bobcat, meticulously displayed on the side of the divider. Now it was Connor's turn to say, What the hell? We fell into an uncomfortable silence. Then, I had a very unsettling thought. It's like they're marking something. Like they're creepy milestones. Connor looked at me in horror, refusing to weigh in on the Twilight Zone episode we found ourselves in. If these were mile markers, I dreaded finding out what they were leading us to. We continued passing more dead animals, and I couldn't shake the feeling that despite the lack of other cars on the road, we were not alone out there. Finally, we reached the turn-off. I don't know who or what was killing and displaying those animals in those grotesque positions. But once we turned off that stretch of road, we stopped seeing the roadkill. <laughs>